seventh, ninth week of Red Letters. I'm not quite sure where we are, but we're, we're well into it. Let's, uh, let's agree on that. Why are we even arguing about this? Uh, so uh, as, as we continue on, uh, Pastor Dan kind of uh, mentioned tonight being PG-13. I, I just want to let you guys know that uh, I don't do things for, you know, sensationalism and, and stuff like that. I really take uh, uh, the, the mantle of teaching that you've entrusted me with very, very seriously. In fact, written around in my books and on my windshield in my car and, and all over the place is that is my desire to equip, encourage, and edify you guys every time I have the opportunity uh, to speak and uh, tonight is, is just like that. And, and so we're going to be talking about some things that, that may be a little bit uncomfortable, but in the context of Scripture, I think it's really important. And uh, so uh, that's why we're going to go there. Um, so we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 16 uh, this evening, but uh, where Jesus is going somewhere with his disciples. And I think it's kind of uh, hard for us to kind of grasp what it meant to be a disciple to a rabbi in the first century. You see, there was quite a process that, that went through, uh, that Jewish young men went through. And to be a disciple and then eventually a rabbi, that that was the dream of every little good Hebrew boy. It's kind of like how we were growing up, we wanted to be like firemen or policemen or, you know, professional baseball player, right? Or, or a football player or president of the United States, something like that. Like nobody wants that gig anymore. But, but like back in the day, that was like people wanted that. Now they kind of know what it goes along with it. But, um, you know, the, these desires, well, back in the first century for, for a young, you know, like a little Hebrew boy, that was being eventually, you know, be called to be a disciple of a rabbi and then a rabbi themselves when they were about 30. And there's quite a process that, that they went through. Like all the kids, uh, when they first went to school, they'd all go to Hebrew school. And by the time that they were nine years old, they were to have been able to memorize the Pentateuch. Now, the Pentateuch is the first five books in the Old Testament, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the, that's the Pentateuch, and that's that much memorization for a little kid, right? And not only did they have to memorize it, but they had to be able to explain it in a way and interpret it in a way that was pleasing to the rabbi. Now, most people washed out, as you well could imagine at this point, but they would say, you're a good Jewish boy, and there's no shame in that, and go and learn a trade. You know, go and become a fisherman or, or a carpenter. Go and become a farmer or something like that. But those who got the kind of the seal, the rabbi seal of approval, you know, to, to go on, what they would do in the next few years is they would memorize the rest of the Hebrew Bible, which is called the Torah. And that's our Old Testament. Let's see. That's that. Okay? And that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of the evening. 
<laughs> is memorizing the Torah. Now, they would do that and they'd spend all their time memorizing that. And then, you know, the, the day came, the big test where they were, they were called in and the rabbi would sit down and you would recite the Torah. But not only did you have to recite it, he would ask you questions and interpreting it. And most people, as you would imagine, would wash out and they'd say, it's okay. You're a good Jewish boy. Go learn a trade. You know, go be with your family. But for those who could memorize all of that and who, who answered the questions well, then the rabbi would say, I want you to become my disciple. And becoming a disciple for, for a student was, was more than just becoming a student. You see, in, in our culture, we kind of bounce around from teacher to teacher, right? You know, they're, everybody's specialized. Okay, this is the science teacher. This is the, the English teacher. Or what do they call it now? Language arts, right? This is the language arts teacher. And, and they would, you know, that you just, you know, you go, you learn, you, you know, you try to pass the test and you move on, right? But that's not the way it was in the first century. When you were a disciple, when you were the student of the rabbi, the teacher, that not only did you want to learn what they had to teach, but you actually wanted to learn to be like that rabbi. You wanted to learn how he would make decisions, and how he'd act, and, and how he would respond in certain situations because you wanted to be able to do it just like that rabbi. So as this all kind of unfolds, this, this day, Jesus was going up in this verse 13, came to a region of Caesarea Philippi. So you can imagine... The, the Jesus is going, and all the disciples are following. And there was actually a Jewish saying that, that in the first century that it said, let your, your body be caked with your rabbi's dust. And this kind of give this, gave this understanding that, that if you were a good disciple of the rabbi, that when he was walking on, you know, they didn't have concrete like we have now, in the dusty roads, that you were following your rabbi so closely that the dust and the muck that he was kicking up from his sandals would get on you. And the, and the disciple who had the most dust was kind of the guy who was following him the closest. And this was the idea you know, kind of metaphorically speaking, that, that you are so close to your rabbi that you're getting the dust of his sandals and the muck off his sandals all over you. Well, it would be very easy for us to just kind of read this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, like we'd be like, okay, great, Caesarea Philippi, yet another kind of abstract place in the ancient middle ancient near east right well this this place even though we could we would be very easy to read over it actually was a very dark place a very kind of forbidden place 
In fact, this is a place that no good little Jewish boy or girl would ever go. Much like an internet cafe for a Christian. You see, what happened in Caesarea Philippi was this was the headquarters, the founding place, and the temple of the cult of Pan, or Pan, depending on where you come from. And we, we all actually have been exposed to the cult of Pan. Uh, we, we've, we've seen pictures. He, uh, he has infiltrated, actually, our culture. See, Pan was the goat man. And he, I'll describe him to you. He uh, was half man, half goat, and he had little horns, and he had, he had uh, a little billy goat beard. Sound familiar to Im- any images in our current culture? That's how we see Satan, right? Kind of the, the, kind of the, the goat legs and the, and the beard and the, and the horns and everything. It, it's kind of a common image of, in our culture of Satan. That comes straight from the cult of Pan. You see, and in the cult of Pan, this was a, a, a really despicable cult. And, and Pan was known as the, as the god of fertility and the, and the god of eroticism. And people would come from all over to come and, and, and have sex. And there was huge orgies that would happen there. That, that people would dress up, men would dress up as goats and, and, and have sex with women, and women would dress up as goats, as the, the priestesses, and, and people would come and worship that way. It went so far that they actually started having goats at the temple, and people would have relationships with the goats. All of this, and you could just imagine as the disciples were, were following Jesus, Following Jesus, going, where is he taking us? Where is this, where is this place? And you could imagine maybe, you know, Matthew turns over to, to Peter and says, Peter, you think he's taking us to Caesarea Philippi? Surely it seems we're going that way. I don't know, shut up. Hey, John, you're one of the, you know, boys of thunder. You know, ask Jesus where we're going. Shh, be quiet. Just follow. And as they got closer and closer, and they finally, they see themselves entering this place, and they see the temple of Pan, and they see the activities that are going on. And not only was the temple of Pan there, but it, the temple of Pan was strategically placed. It wasn't by accident that the temple of Pan this evil cult where we get our image of Satan from originated from. You see, they strategically placed the temple upon to be next to the gate of hell. Now, the gate of hell in the ancient Near East was this cliff, and, and it had a big crack in it like a cavern. And the ancients believed that this was the actual gate of hell where demons and evil came out. Sounds like a wonderful place, right? So this is where they situated the temple, 
and, and they have the gates of hell, and there you have, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, toga, you know, uh, blue sash Jesus, right? No, he wasn't like that at all. So I hate to burst your bubble. You have Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has led his disciples into this just kind of arena of evil. This kind of landscape of, of everything that goes wrong when the depravity of man runs rampant. And it is in this landscape that Jesus asks his disciples... Now, just want to tell you, God and Jesus never ask a question because he needs to know the answer. He's asking it because he's trying to lead you to the answer. And Jesus says this, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. That's Peter's real name, Simon, son of John, because my father has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now check this next part. Now I say that you, that you are Peter. That you are Peter. The Greek there is Petros, which literally means pebble or small stone. Like this is the nickname that Jesus is giving Peter here, or, or Simon Peter. Like, hey, pebble. You know, thanks for that, Jesus. That's a great nickname. Couldn't it be like Thor or something like that? But no, it's Pebble. So he's sitting there and he's like, now I say to you that you are Pebble. You are small stone. You are Petros. And upon this rock, now he uses a different word for rock here. He uses the word Petra. Anybody know what Petra is? Petra is a cliff. In fact, there, you know, we call uh, a, a cliff um, with, the, with the, the fortress carved inside it, Petra, right? And, and basically this imagery that, that is being presented here is Jesus saying, look, you are now pebble, you are pebble boy, you are, you are small stone boy, and upon this Petra, Upon this cliff, on this, this, this massive stone wall, I will build my church. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about Christ being the cornerstone. Now, there's been a lot of kind of doctrines and theologies and different strains of, of Christianity that is written out of this, and people have made assumptions and haven't really gone back and really tried to see what Jesus was saying. But all you have to do is really kind of fast forward and see what Peter says about this. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. 
He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are the living stones. You are the living Petros that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing the cornerstone in Jerusalem, which is Jesus, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So here we have this understanding what Jesus is saying, and, and Peter kind of unpacking it, you know, a little bit later on, that we, we, as people who profess Jesus Christ as the Messiah, that we are part of the church, that each and every one of us are Petros, that we are small rocks or pebbles that are part of, of our united front of the Petra. And what holds it all together, which we talked about two weeks ago, is the cornerstone, and it keeps it all straight. So here we have Jesus saying, look, Peter, you got it. And because you got it, you got to remember where they're at, right? Where are they at? They got goat temple over here, right? They have the gate of hell here. And this is what he says. He says, because you got all this, that I'm going to build my church on this, this revelation, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, or in other translations, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, if you're like me, every time I've heard this taught, my image in my head, this is just me, I don't know, you may be different, but the image in my head was cowering Christians trying to not be overcome by the gates of hell, right? That somehow that, that, that the gates of hell is on this offensive and Jesus is saying that we're not going to be overcome by the gates of hell. I was thinking about this. Decided to go to Home Depot. I go to Home Depot. I say, Mr. Home Depot guy. I am Honorable Reverend Mark Vickers. <laughs> and I would like to purchase a gate from hell. He looks at me and I showed him the sign, which I'm not going to show you because I, you, you can't handle it. And he took me to the back room where only the pastors, the honorable ones, honorable ones get to go. And there I was able to select from a large selection of gates from hell. And this one caught my fancy. And I started thinking about the gates of hell as an offensive weapon and a cowering Christian. Tell me if this makes any sense. I am going to attack you with my gate. It's not very offensive. I mean, I might be offensive, but this 
not so offensive. Offensive weapon, no, not at all. And then I started thinking, I let, this is, I'm going to let you in the mind of Mark. You know, I started thinking about it. I was like, what if I was like a Roman soldier? That's how they stand. <laughs> and like, I'm about to go to battle, right? And me and Bob, you know, we're, uh, we're coming over here and, and, uh, and we're talking. And Bob says to me, Roman soldier Mark, yeah. Guess what? The new weapons are in for whatever, what, like, 03. But not like 2003, like just three, you know? And they're, they're in. And, 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 and you know what? Because you're such a good soldier that you get first pick. Uh, you get pick one or the other weapons. You want to see them? Yeah, yeah, I want to see them. Okay, here's the first one, the gate. You can go into battle with this nice gate here. You'll strike fear into the hearts of the enemy. Or you can take a sword. A gate or sword. Gate or sword. There's no one in their right mind. Oh, now you're listening. I got a sword. Now on, I'm teaching with a sword. There's no one in their right mind who's going to go into any battle or be fearful of an idiot with a gate. But you better be fearful of a man with a sword. I mean... It's like a totally way, different way of thinking it. Jesus is not saying that we have to cower and we're not going to be overcome by the gates of hell. He's saying hell needs to look out. Think about where he took the disciples. Think about the imagery. We got the cult of pawn and all that funkiness going on. Rick James got nothing on that. And... Uh, and you got the gates of hell, you know, over here. And Jesus is saying, look, guys, we're coming for them. There's nowhere that God's love cannot reach. I don't know about you, but I think that's a completely different way of looking at this. It's an empowering scripture. It is a scripture, it says, that, you know what, nobody is too far gone for the love of Christ. He continues on here. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Remember what we talked about, the... the the goal of the disciple, the saying, the Jewish saying of, of let you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. That they didn't jump around from teacher to teacher, but they wanted to learn, yes, what that rabbi had to teach, but they wanted to become like that rabbi. They wanted to be covered in his dust and know his thoughts and make his thoughts 
their thoughts. To make his actions their actions. To make his responses their responses. To be that in tune with their rabbi. And what Jesus is saying here is not saying the student is going to dictate what the rabbi does or what happens in heaven. But he's saying, you follow me close. You follow me so close that you are covered in dust and my muck and you know how I would respond in every situation and you know it so well. And it's become such a part of you that it is your natural response to respond like me. And then he sternly warns the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Messiah. And I think that's important. I really do. In fact, most of Jesus' earthly ministry, he told the disciples and told other people he healed, don't tell. Don't tell people about me. And I think this goes all the way back to the beginning of this series, talking about everything with God is relational, and there's a relational time that is right. And that in the, in the parable of the soils, Jesus calls us the farmer, and we talked about what the farmer does. The farmer prepares the soil to take the seed and the, and the water and, and makes it right. And here he's saying, look, it's not time to just kind of get a bullhorn and yell at people and try to, you know, argue them into heaven. It's not time yet. Because you need to build the relational right to speak truth into people's lives that you need to, to let them know that, that, that you care and that I am who I say I am. And I think that that's important for us to know. It's important for us to, to connect with people on a real level and to love them enough to hear where they are at, but love them enough not to leave them there. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, I just pray for each and every one of us that we can follow you so close that we are covered in your dust. God, I know we all wander off at times and we kind of fall to the back of the pack. But I just pray that you will just give us a passion to stick close with you to go where you would take us, to learn what you would give us, to be bold in your power and your love and your ability to give people freedom no matter what depravity or depths that they have fallen into. God, thank you for being a God of restoration. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Wow. <laughs>